Today, we're going to be preaching on what Jesus says He is. Not what we say He is, but what we say He is. So, if I can have a slide, that'll be cool. Who do you say I am? And actually, if anybody wants to say who Jesus is, I welcome you to put your hand up and I will go for it. So, has anybody got a name that they would like to give to Jesus? Anyone. Nice. Thank you. Anyone else? Savior. Savior. Anyone else? Anyone else? Nice. All right, so the whole idea is that, you see, Lisa knows what I'm preaching on, so she could sneak that one in. But uh, for me, like if I think of Jesus, I think of, as you guys said, the two words I've written here, Savior, Redeemer. All right? And then I also write down King of Kings, Prince of Peace, and Lord of Lords. But who does he say he is? And just in preparing for this, I, I was amazed at how much comfort I can find out of what Jesus says and what Jesus says about himself. So we're going to go to the book of John where he mentions seven things about himself. He mentions seven I am statements. He says, I am, I am, I am. And what it means is like, my name is Richard Bulbring. So it means I am Richard Bulbring, myself, Richard Bulbring, and only I, Richard Bulbring, am Richard Bulbring. You know, it's that thorough, you know. And when Jesus says, when, sorry, when Moses asks God, who are you? His first time he says, I am. Basically meaning he is the self-sufficient one. His existence is self-sufficient. He relies on no one else. That is God. And the amazing thing about Jesus, not only was he God on earth, but when he was, when he was saying these things about himself, he would never just like sit down with his disciples and say, I am the light of the world. That would have no sort of like real significance. But he uses like the perfect situation to magnify the meaning of that I am. So we start off with, I am the bread of life. Um, do you like my presentation? This is as good as it's going to get from me, guys. <laughs> okay, so I am the bread of life. And it starts off in John chapter 6. Jesus is at the Sea of Galilee. Can you imagine? There's 5,000 people starving and the disciples are coming to him. What are we going to do? How are we going to feed these people? One of the disciples comes and says, I've got two fish and five loaves of bread. So he feeds the 5,000 people, all right, a feat uh, never to be done again. And what happens then? People start questioning and they start asking him, who is this man? Who is this man? And the Jews, they follow him across the Sea of Galilee. And they say to him, our God gave us manna in the wilderness. So what Jesus responds to them and said, you need the true bread of heaven. And he startles them by saying next, I am the bread of life. Now we all know as human beings, like we need bread and we need water to live. And in the, in the olden days, well, long time ago, your probably 80, 90% of your diet was bread and water. So him by saying, I am the bread of life, he is saying like, I am essential for your life. 
But what he was really meaning is, I am essential for your eternal life. You know where he says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I said, obviously we're going to hunger and we will thirst again. That's just who we are as people. But if we believe in Jesus as the bread of life, we will be spiritually satisfied. We were so fortunate, Tammy and I, in about 2004, I think it was, we went to Flushing Flushing Meadows just outside New York, and we got to hear Billy Graham preach his final crusade. It was about seven minutes long, and once he finished, everybody just like walked forward to get saved. It was the most incredible thing. Like we didn't even hear an altar call. We just saw like people walking forward. And he preached on, I can't get no satisfaction. The great hit from the Rolling Stones. And if we look at our lives, we're always looking for satisfaction everywhere. You know, good meal. We see our friends got a... Uh, beautiful iPad 5, or I don't even know that stuff, iPhone 5 and then iPad. As I said, this is as good as it's going to get. Um, and we want to follow those people because that's what we think is the right thing to do but, and we, that we think we'll get satisfaction out there. But the bottom line is your satisfaction is in the bread of life alone. And I was just amazed at how simple Billy Graham's message was. We can't get no satisfaction. The world tries to feed us satisfaction in every facet appealing to all of our desires. We look at marketing, uh, adverts on the, on the TV, satisfied here, satisfied here. But there is only one person who can truly satisfy, and that's Jesus Christ. So number one, I am the bread of life. Number two, I am the light of the world. John 8 verse 12. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but have, will have the life, light of life. Imagine referring to yourself as the light of the world. Imagine like people must have thought, yeah, this guy is arrogant. You know, like whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So what does it mean to walk in darkness? He's just said, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. You see, when the Bible talks about walk, it often talks about habit. You know, you walk in that habit. So walking in darkness would be walking in sin. I am the light of the world, meaning, okay, so he is the light of the world. If you're going to walk in darkness, you, you won't be following Christ but you'll have the light of life. I just, I love that because if you're going to walk in the darkness, you're going to be constantly going away from the light. But if you're going to turn that around and you're going to stick close to the light, you'll be the light of the world, as Christ was the light of the world. So last night, Tammy and I were talking about this. The weird thing about when when you have to prepare is like, you continue saying to Tammy, do you think this will work? Do you think this will work? So, Speaking about the moon last night, because in the moon reflects the sun, right? The moon has no light of its own, but reflects the sun. So Tammy and I, I'm not the greatest astrologist out there, so we were like, that's pretty cool. And in the same way that Christ is the light, 
we need to reflect that light, the light of Christ, who, we, who He was on earth, to the people around us. So how do we do that? And there's a couple of things. we just got to make sure as His lights on this earth, our main job or function is to just be credible people, you know, faithful, God-honoring, trustworthy, sincere. But most importantly, if we're going to have this light of Christ, we need to share the gospel with the world. Can you imagine if the disciples just held it to themselves? Where would we be? Probably not in Cayman and probably not uh, at sunrise.ky. It's a, it's a privilege to, to know the light of the world. It really is. And, and as the light of the world, I would encourage us all to, to stay away from walking in the darkness. You know, it's not going to satisfy you. But walk close to the light and reflect his light. Number three, and this is my favorite one. I am the gate for the sheep. And therefore Jesus said again, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. So you think to yourself, why do we need a gate? Why would Jesus refer to himself as a gate for the sheep? Firstly, we need to know a little bit more about the sheep. The sheep of all the domestic animals are the most helpless. They are completely useless on their own. Um, I found this so interesting. Like a sheep, if you just let a sheep go, all right, it'll graze all day and it won't look up. So it'll get completely lost. All right? They have no homing instinct. A sheep can see the sheep pen over there but will not know to go there. That is how little their ability is to find their home is. They are followers. Amazingly, if one sheep falls off a cliff, it's not going to stop the next sheep from falling off the ship, the, the cliff. They will just follow each other. And this is the funniest one. If a wolf enters the pen, like the sheep pen over there, they won't defend themselves. They'll just huddle up, all right? And you know what? <laughs> I have to do this. I'm sorry. Have you ever seen a sheep like get aggressive and go like, bad wolf, you know? <laughs> bad wolf. You know, it, it just, that's not what sheep do. They just huddle up, easily slaughtered, all right? And they're done. They get scattered. They were totally dependent on the shepherd. Which is why we come to this part over here. You see, what would happen is the sheep would just graze around there all day. And then at night, the shepherd would lead the sheep through that gate. And then what would happen is the, she- the shepherd would lie across the front of that gate. What he was doing is, he was protecting the sheep. Because at night, when the wolves come... And the other predators, he lies at the gate. There's no other way to the sheep. And he protects them. And what a privilege for us to know that we serve a God who is lying at the gate to protect us from evil. I mean, to me, like when you read that, I am the gate for the sheep, you go, and that means nothing to me. But when you 
just go a little bit deeper, you hear, this is an incredible God. And in a world where people are very competitive, we try and elevate ourselves above others, we get persecuted, but how cool is it that we have a shepherd who is the only way to the gate, and if we just ask God, I am the gate, please protect me, we have that protection available to us. Who never knew that? I love that. All right, number four, I am the good shepherd. So John 10, 11 says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand, on the other hand, is not a shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is hired and cares nothing for the sheep. So the fact that we have Jesus referring to himself as a good shepherd must mean that there are also bad shepherds out there. And as you see in this passage, the bad shepherd would never put his his life on the line for the sheep. What a bad shepherd would do is he'd see the wolf coming. If he was lying at at the gate, he would see the predator and he would move away. He'd say, all right, you take one sheep. I'm just going to move on. You take it. I'll go get the rest of the herd. Once you're satisfied, I'll get the herd back. They'll listen to me. And he would never, ever put his life on the line for the sheep. You see, Jesus was nothing like that. When it came to the crunch, he placed himself on the cross. And now as Christians who trust and walk in Christ, we are led by that good shepherd. We, many of us know the parable about the, the, the 99 sheep, the one sheep that got lost. Jesus is that kind of a shepherd. You know, if a sheep has broken his leg, Jesus will go and he will get that sheep, put him over his shoulders and bring him back to the herd. Herd? No. And in the same way, if you are suffering, if you have a problem in your life, If you are far from Jesus, he is not the shepherd who will just scatter and leave you. He will, Ryan loves this word, and I I learned this word when I came here. He will pursue you. How cool is it that the shepherd that we serve is not a hired hand, but he is a, a shepherd who pursues you and wants you close to him. I am blown away by these seven statements, and I really hope that these statements can just like cut into your heart a little bit and they could become alive into you, in your life. And I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live. And even though they die, whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Another time, this is one of those perfect opportunities where Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. We know the story of Lazarus. Lazarus is sick. Jesus is about two, three days journey away from Lazarus, and he finds out that he's sick. But he spends two more days there. And he's not sick. I mean, he did die eventually. He's very sick. 
But Jesus is in no hurry to get there. He spends two, two more days where he was ministering. And then he goes to his disciples and he says, this sickness is to bring glory to God. So they start the journey to where Lazarus is in Bethany. And his disciples say to him that Lazarus has died. He simply says to them, he is asleep. So eventually, they're just outside Bethany, and Martha runs up to him and, he says, and says to him, if you were here, you could have healed him. Such is her faith and his healing powers. And Jesus says to her, don't worry, he will rise again. And she's thinking, yes, he will rise again at the resurrection. You know? But Jesus has got completely other ideas. And it's here where he says, I am the resurrection and the life. So just a week ago, one of the friends in our complex, poor granny, died. And they went up to the funeral. And when, and when they came back, I said to her, oh, where have you guys been? She said, no, we went to the funeral of my gran. She passed away. So Noah says to me, Dad, is she dead? And I said to him, yes, my boy. Unfortunately, I'd been preparing this. And I said, you know what? She is dead. But you don't have to die. Because Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. And those of you who know my little boy who's a thinker, he was so secured by the fact that although one day he will die, he knows that in Christ he will rise. And it was just such a cool way to, to see the word of God alive. By, by giving little Noah some security. All right, number six. Two more to go. So basically, if you were going out for your, with your wife for a supper, you'd be getting your dessert now. All right, so, so we're pretty much at the end of it. And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Once again, his timing is perfect when he says this because it's a night before his betrayal and Jesus was preparing his disciples for the days ahead. For over three years, these men had been following Jesus, listening to his teachings, his examples. They had pl placed their hopes in him and the Messiah, the promised deliverer, yet they had no idea how he was going to do this. And it's here where he says to them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Remember what I am means? It means I, myself and I, I only am. So he's saying, I am that, that guy, that self-sufficient one, that is me, I am. He is saying, I am the way. What way? He is the way to the Father. There is no other way. We may be fed other ideas, but... According to this statement, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There is no other way to the Father. He is the truth. He has come, and he has fulfilled the law. He has not done away with it or abolished the law. He has fulfilled the law, and he is now the source of all truth. And as we read in the previous one, he is the life, and that life is in him alone. I mean, what a comfort to know that we believe in Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, and the life. He takes 
our chains off and he takes them away and he gives us eternal life in heaven, but also he gives us an incredible life here on earth. He says this in a time where he's about to leave his disciples. They're about to go through tough times. And he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Again, Tammy and I were chatting last night about this, and, and I said to her, do you get this? Do you get the fact that Jesus says he is the way, the truth, and the life? Now, you must remember, she's been looking after the kids all day, and I've been doing this all day. So I'm pumped. She's finished. She goes, yeah, I get it. I'm like, Tam, he's the way to the Father. Do you see it? He is the way. Yeah, I got it. And I'm just going on and on and on. And it was like massive revelation in my life. And then I say, and the truth? Do you see it? Like the whole Bible is the truth? Do you see it? And again, didn't get much, man. I got it. So then I realized I was pretty much hitting my head against the wall and went on. But isn't it cool that he is the way, the truth, and the life? So when you face trials, and I just thought about it, like when you have a tough time and things are really not great, you believe in Jesus, you believe in the good shepherd, you believe he is the gate, but things are tough. You just come out and you just proclaim that statement. You just close your eyes in your bedroom, raise your hands, say, I believe in you, the way, the truth, and the life. And that's the kind of motivation the, the disciples would have needed when, they, when their Savior left them. They would have needed something to cling to. And they could have just said that, repeated it time and time again. And finally, I am the true vine. Or I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. We've all heard, I am the vine, and we all know that analogy. Of these statements, that's probably the one we're familiar with. But the last little part says, apart from me, you can do nothing. You see, once again, Jesus is sitting with his friends, his disciples. He's about to be betrayed by Judas. And he says, I am the true vine in that secure secure setting while eating a meal. And he knew how disturbed they would be at the thought of him leaving. So he comforted them by saying, I am the true, I am the vine. Now he left them, right? But he sent us his Holy Spirit to stay close to him. See, even though we do not see Jesus, we have faith in Jesus. And we have the Holy Spirit with us to help us remain connected to the vine. And how do we stay connected to the vine? In Acts 2.42, it gives us four ways to which we can easily stay connected to the vine. By prayer, by fellowship with other believers, by listening to his word, by reading his word and studying his word, and also by having communion together, sharing meals together. And if we do those four things, God says we'll lead a blessed life. 
my challenge to you guys is like, when life is tough, all right, when marriages are weak, or when the temptations are large, just go read Acts 2.42 slowly. And come to God in prayer with others. Come to the true vine in fellowship, having meals together, and reading His Word. And I know when you're far from God, it's difficult to do those things. But make that decision to come close to God. My favorite description of love is a song by a South African band, and some of you guys might know it. It says, love is not a feeling. It's an act of your will. It's devotion, not emotion, and it will truly fulfill. So when you're in that hard time, when you're far from the vine, make that decision that it's not a feeling, this love for Christ, but it's devotion and not emotion. And then you will be fulfilled in the vine. And it goes on to say in Acts 2.42 that you will be blessed. So why am I telling you these seven I am statements of Jesus? You see, my hope is that if you know these things about Jesus, other than the Savior and the Redeemer and the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, it will bring it home to you on like a personal basis. And if you can understand more about this Jesus that you serve, how he has come to serve you first. So my hope is that in your time of desperation, that you'll call on this bread of life who can come and sustain you. And in your time of darkness, if you're walking in darkness, remember that Christ is the light. And when there seems no way out, take heart and remember that he is at the gate. He is that gate protecting you. And when you feel lost like the sheep who falls into a ditch, that good shepherd will come and carry you back. And when all hope is gone like Martha's, you're You'll just believe that he is the resurrection and you can have hope. And when your friends tell you that they are lost, this is the one that's challenging to me, will you have the courage to tell them that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life? And as God's family, we all need to know that we are part of Christ who is the vine. And apart from this vine, we cannot exist Apart from Christ, we cannot exist and be satisfied. So my prayer is this. And I, I, I can't emphasize to you guys, like, by reading these things like 10, 12, 20 times this last week, going through it all in preparation, it really hit me here how important these statements are for us. So my prayer is this, that we can call on Jesus And we can remind him of the names he has given to himself so that he can help us in our time of need. Call on Jesus and remind him 
of the names he has given to himself. For me, it's that I am the way, the truth, and the life. That's the one that got me out of these seven. And I really hope that on the back of your bulletin, you see those things. I pray that it wouldn't become a paper jet for your kid. Or I pray that you would just look at those and think, you know what, this is the one that I need now. I need Jesus to be the bread of life for me. Maybe I need to turn and I need to see Jesus as the light of the world and I need to start reflecting his light a little bit more. I mean, I'm not going to do the seven again. don't have time. But please call on him. Remind him of who he says he is, that you can just gain strength out of it and you can, it'll give you a bit of oomph to persevere. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for your Son, Jesus. We're thankful, Lord, that not only is he the Savior of the world and the Redeemer and the King of kings and the Rescuer and the Lord of lords, but he is so much more. He is a personal Savior. He is the bread of life and the light of the world. He is the gate for the sheep. He is the good shepherd, the resurrection, the way, the truth, and the life. And he is the vine. God, I pray that each person here would just come to a, a greater understanding of who this Jesus is and help us to walk closely with him so that we may shine your light in this world. In Jesus' name, amen.